And here we are. It is episode 73, everybody, in our final season. Uh, It's already turning out to be such a powerful and um, deep experience, even though we only have six or seven episodes in this final season of the Thinking Pilates podcast. Today is no exception. James and I are talking with Mariko Tanabe, who is a longtime practitioner of body-mind centering. James and I met Mariko kind of indirectly when we were exposed to her last March when we went to the Body and Brain Bridge Cohen workshop in Berkeley. And when we were considering um, somebody to have just a, an intelligent and insightful conversation with about this moment in time that kind of spans embryological development and early childhood and the expression of movement, we really could not think of anybody better. Mariko has a long standing history in dance. She is a teacher and a mentor. She resides in Montreal and has traveled the world presenting her choreography and doing this wonderful, wonderful work of blending movement and artistic expression. We're just really, really thrilled to share her with you today. So without further delay, here we go. Well, welcome everybody. We are continuing this really amazing journey through our final season, season four, taking the exploration of embodiment and movement from before birth to death. And I just, every time I think about that or say that, I think, you know, I get a little like emotional for lots of reasons, Mm -hmm. but it's, it's just a powerful, it's a powerful idea. And I am so grateful to be exploring it and ruminating on it and in conversation about it with my wonderful and amazing sweet colleague, James Crater, who is on with me this morning. Good morning, sir. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah, I'm excited about this too. Um, I loved the uh, first episode you did with, with Deborah. Um, really beautiful conversation. And to continue this theme um, is apropos for where where we are in our career, what we're sort of seeing out in the movement world and specifically for the the podcast life. Mm-hmm. So yeah, super enjoying this. I know it's so great. And uh, as you know, we are here today with uh, Mariko Tanabe and Mariko, welcome. Oh, thank you. Oh, such an honor to have you. We were just talking before we went uh, into recording mode that James and I had the pleasure of um, just being in the room with you for four days with Bonnie, uh, Bonnie Bainbridge Cohen, for those of you who may not know, last March. Um, and I know that was a really powerful experience for James and I. And it's just a real honor to to be able to talk to you directly about these ideas. So thank you so much for making the time to be with us. Really my pleasure. Um, where should we begin? <laughs> well, we we have some big we have some big questions and um I'm gonna let I'm gonna just toss the ball into James's court and let him start. Great. Um yeah, thank you so much, Monica, for being here with us and for all of your contributions to our time with Bonnie and for uh, what you do in the movement world. And 
uh, that's actually where I want to start the conversation so that our listeners and anyone out there can sort of begin to contextualize the conversation is, um, for you, Marco, what, what is movement or how do you view movement in the world or in your world? Mm. Movement is life. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, movement is life. If we go to all life forms, there's, there's movement, um, even um, breathing in the cells of our bodies or in, in multi-celled creatures, uh, there's always movement and vibration and the movement of fluid. And, um, yeah, it's through movement that we uh, meet the world and the world meets us and we mm-hmm. have a chance to interact and grow. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. How did how did you uh, you know I I am in resonance with your definition and sort of your perception of movement. Um, I think there would be a lot of people out there given that question would not have said something like that. You know they would have either gone to you know some version of physicality of movement or exercise or whatever. Have you? Is this is that definition something that you've always sort of gravitated towards, or how did you come into that understanding of what is movement? Um, no, I didn't start with this knowledge or with this information about how our bodies are created, how the genesis of our bodies and onward, which I imagine we'll get to a bit later in this mm-hmm. conversation. But I just uh, needed to move, I think, when I look back now at my family and my family history and even ancestry, like I think every family, you know, there's often a lot of intergenerational trauma. And, oh, yeah. Yeah, and unconsciously or even consciously, I think that we carry these things and um, these patterns, these imprints. And I know that as a child, um, I can remember being rather laconic in a lot of ways. And I needed to move. I needed to move, mm-hmm. um, which led to me finally be deciding rather late, relatively speaking. I was already in my early 20s when I decided to become a dancer. I had mm-hmm. so much energy. I had mm-hmm. so much drive. I had so much passion. And, I mean, uh, I'll cut to, the, to the, the last statement about all of this. You know, I was dancing professionally in New York for... Uh, 12 years in Montreal, so about 20 years and longer, touring, creating. And actually, I think dancing and this life of uh, that physicality every day and expression saved my life. Mm. Mm. Um, I, if I you really don't mind, yeah, if, if it's not... <laughs> um, if it's not too early in our relationship, you know, <laughs> a little bit more. Can you say a little bit more about that? That's actually a very yeah. Um, I feel that when you say that. Yeah. No. So if you're if you're yeah, comfortable sure. talking about that or whatever you are comfortable, I would feel yeah, really honored I, if you share that conversation. I don't mind sharing my experience because it's actually from my experience that I teach. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, I mean I'll I'll share that. Uh, uh, there was a lot of depression in my family at some points or hidden depression. And as I mentioned, the impact of trauma and how each, each one of us in our 
destiny in our path, uh, our fate, whatever you want to call it. I believe it's a combination of those things. We'll embody it and take it differently. And I think that if I hadn't had this um, outlet with dancing and being physical and being physical and helping me stay in the present moment with my heart, uh, with my passion, my with my drive, and also an outlet to let things circulate from deep inside out through my body, I think I could have very easily ended up, yeah, uh, who knows, you know, suicidal mm-hmm. or just de- be- uh, entering into destructive behavior, which I've seen mm-hmm. uh, by many people close to me. And of course, through my uh, private practice as well, um, you know, I think we all carry a lot. And I also think that it's something about the time that I was born. I'm a baby boomer. Mm-hmm. And, and having grown up in that time and, and, and the years after, I think that uh, my generation and the ones that have followed have had the time or the space to actually connect with some of these deeper issues that our, our previous generations were in wars and depressions and survival seemed to be uh, more the key element there for many, many of our our um, ancestors. <laughs> the ones mm-hmm. that immigrated, the ones that immigrated to this continent and uh, for sure. I used to talk to my mother when I was starting to get involved with self-help and working on myself. You know, and she was born in 1926 and went through the First World War and the Depression. And she said, well, you know, you just never thought about those things very much. Mm, yeah. Yeah. You just never thought about them. And I realized, yes, I have the luxury of space. So yeah. there's nothing overriding it. And these things are very much uh, closer to the surface. And I see it in my students as well. I, I feel like... Uh, ones who are at the undergrads in university or younger or older, um, searching now. They're all searching for a greater meaning. And uh, they want to be connected and they want to feel the world that they're living in. They want it to, to be a place where they feel that they can uh, have a future. <laughs> mm. And uh, mm-hmm. in, 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 in instigate positive change according to their visions. Mm-hmm. Mm, thank you for sharing that. I appreciate it. So as Chantal mentioned it uh, at the beginning, uh, the the path of this season is from conception to death. Uh, and what I'm really interested, what Chantal and I are really interested in, is what is, to get this sort of conversation going, what is the spark of movement in a human? <laughs> What's the, yeah, I know. I Take a second. Here, so, you know, if you could just oh, it's, if you it's, break it's that really down beautiful. for us. <laughs> it's a beautiful question. And I'll just, I'll, I'll just approach from one of 20 or 50 choices I could have and mm-hmm. just feel free mm-hmm. any time to uh, redirect. Mm-hmm. But um, as I mentioned before, you know, um, one of the first movements we have when we're just um, even a sperm and an egg um, is cellular breathing. And cellular mm-hmm. breathing is the movement of the fluid. So there's no lungs in a cell, per se. <laughs> and the mm-hmm. fluid breath is the one that comes from the fluid outside the cells and 
that brings in the oxygen and releases out the, the, uh, the byproduct of uh, exhalation, the carbon dioxide. And in our bodies, that comes in, through, in and out through our lungs. But the real breathing is happening through the fluid body and cells. So first of all, there's just the life force needs the movement of the breathing. And then as we begin to multiply and uh, specialize in our tissues as an embryo, um, there's an intelligence at play to live. So there's something about life wanting, desiring, needing to sustain itself, survival. And then there's communication as well, which is another kind of movement. <laughs> so our mm. cells don't have a brain. I mean, eventually we have a brain, but that's much, much, much later in our development. Yeah. In the eight, in the eight weeks of embryology, um, the cells already, as I said, start already with the sperm and the egg that create us and our unique DNA. But um, as the cells, uh, as we're uh, conceived and these cells start to multiply, they go through a very cosmic uh, journey of incredible and dramatic transformations. Um, they say that if our body kept going at the same rate as it did during the first eight weeks of uh, life, of the eight weeks of embryology, our bodies would be larger than the size of the Earth by adulthood. <laughs> <And> it, <laughs> if you can wrap your head around that. I mean, that is... I mean, it, it, you know, and we just don't have, we're not, it's a new, this is a relatively new paradigm because um, science has brought us more information. And also, we're looking at it with our brains, which are cognitive, and this was all happening before our brains were formed. But the movement, the organization, and the intelligence of ourselves was already being expressed by this path of development. We had um, already the blood starts flowing at about mm -hmm. three weeks, okay? Um, and the brain is the uh, nervous system starts to form soon after, but it takes much longer. And even though by the end of embryology, the, the, the central nervous system, the brain is um, and spinal cord are formed, they don't get myelinated. They don't. Uh, the insulation that's around them does not get created until six months into fetal life. So all of this intelligence is happening through the movement of the cells. Mm -hmm. So that's that's the movement of the creation of the body. Mm -hmm. But then once you're, can I go on or just do yes, you want yes. to <laughs> go on? I was going to go on to fetal life. <laughs> So, and also we, we don't have an umbilical cord until I think, I'm not sure, something like, it's hard for me to remember the, all of the chronologies, but it's easy to look on Google. But it's about yeah. four weeks, I think, when the umbilical cord is finally formed, maybe a little bit earlier. And, um, but before that, we're, we're, we're not uh, connected with the mother and we're, we're working on what our own selves have created, the amniotic cavity, the amniotic sac the yolk sac, which eventually is our first source of nourishment. All of that comes in. But then once we have the body and we're inside our mother's body swimming in the amniotic fluid, then we are actually uh, being moved by the movements of the mother in the womb. Mm -hmm. uh, if she's a flamenco dancer or a gymnast or an athlete, 
or she's a writer who likes to sit quiet all day. Um, every time her orientation and gravity changes, we start developing our uh, movement uh, receptors to sense where we are in relationship with gravity and in relationship to touch. And we're also then in contact with the uterine wall when we're a smaller fetus. Or maybe the umbilical cord comes and whacks us in the head, and then we feel that, and we move in response to that. And eventually, we start to do, do our own, the movements of our own body. So you see, this can do uh, uh, some kinds of flexion, and a lot of mothers talk about feeling like the babies, once the hands are made, the uh, fetus is pinching or kicking, as we've and heard, heard many mothers uh, speak about. So the, there's the will and the the spark to explore the environment, to respond to the environment, and also the environment moving them in the womb. Mm. So that's how our first sense to develop, aside from the uh, global sensory receptors of each of our cells, which inform their process of creation. Um, we, our first sense to, to develop is in the womb and its movement and touch, and they are created together and they inform mm-hmm. each other. And they're at the foundation of all of our other senses. Mm. Oh, so it's so, um, you know, when you, when I hear it and I, you know, it's like, I think, of course, there's just nothing, nothing else could be true. You know, the, the receptivity that you're talking about and the co-creation of movement potential of you know beginning in the cells and and then in response to the movement of the mother you know the inner environment the outer environment as it impacts the mother it's you know when i am teaching and watching a body move it i am somehow really deeply aware of that relationship although I, I don't know. I'm, I think probably getting better at being able to articulate it into words, but um, so it just feels so right. And I think one thing that comes to mind, something that James and I have talked about um, just in preparation for our conversation with you, Mariko, is what disrupts that? You know, what disrupts that potential? in these early moments and, and, and what's the impact potentially through, you know, through your experience or through your understanding of this process? Yeah, that's a very rich question. Well, um, say I, we, we are connected with the mother through the fluid, even though our own cells create a lot of our, our, our original um, foundation and our, our own cells are developing until they're mature enough to actually be able to be uh, in relationship with and receive and give and uh, with the mother through the uh, placenta and the umbilical cord. But um, many things, I mean, if you pick up many embryology books, the medical ones, you'll see that just in terms of the actual development, there are a lot of things that can go wrong. And, you know, it's a lot of deep respect 
and, uh, you know, seeing these embryos that, you know, didn't make it or, yeah, then we can see what kind of developmental issues can happen. So that's one level. But on a more global level that might relate more to those of us that had the good fortune to, to be born <laughs> healthy, um, there's a lot of things that can happen at birth that can affect us, that can imprint mm-hmm. how we take our first breath. Um, some of us had the umbilical cord wrapped around our neck, or some of us had the forceps pull us out, or some of us were born by C-section, or some of us had very difficult um, uh, birth processes. Uh, maybe the mother had to be on medication or drugs, or maybe our mothers were also um, going through emotional trauma. I mean, all of these things have made an imprint on a certain level in our bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, when we do this work, I've watched it over the years that some people really fall into a very profound, almost fundamental, foundational sense of of panic and uh, come up with um, an intuition that, oh my God, you know, my, my I was born with um, uh, anesthesia. And when we were doing the fluids, this woman felt like she relived when the, the gas or the, the chemicals came in to her through the umbilical cord. And uh, how a baby, how a fetus would absorb that or um, even the emotional tone. Yeah. Uh, even, even the environment. Well, as you were talking, yeah. yeah, yeah, as you were even um, in the last part of the conversation, a bit of my family's history, my sister and I are barely two years apart. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, the neighborhood we grew up in, we sh- my sister and I are very close. We have the same best friends. We went to the same schools. And we are, how we approach life is just fundamentally different. And, you know, it's distinctly different more so than like what a lot of siblings may have. But part of the history is that my sister was born in September and my mother that year lost her father in August mm-hmm. um, very unexpectedly. So for the last six weeks of my sister's um, uh, fetal growing upness, nurturing environment, my mom was in deep grief, shocked grief. And, you know, through this conversation, I'm like, oh, oh, I'm having a moment over here where I'm, I'm um, appreciating who my sister is at a different level just through this conversation. Yeah, yeah. It's so, really you know, it's it? not just, yeah, so for those people listening, it's not, we're not talking physical trauma. We're not just talking chemical trauma or a distinct birth thing. I mean, this is something that happened, you know, outside of her her knowing world that mm-hmm. is deeply impacted now that I'm looking at it, um, it has to have contributed to who she is. Yeah, because there's a tone that gets set. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that uh, I think Bonnie talked about, this Bonnie Bainbridge Cohen talked about in that workshop where we met last year in Berkeley, um, she talked about how the nervous system, we are educated to trust it as the all-knowing and the master. But the actual real experience and a lot of the um, activity is happening at a cellular level. And the mm-hmm. nervous system records it. So mm-hmm. because the fetal life, there is no nervous system memory, then a lot of pe- people used to laugh at me when I tried to 
started to teach this work about uh, 12 years ago. They're saying, you know, huh, embryo, you know, what is that? Well, the nervous system doesn't know it, but it's imprinted in us because it's a part of us, just like our childhood is. And so when we go back to the embryology, for a lot, for a lot of people that actually can go to a place that was pre-trauma. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For example, um, I was, uh, I was attending a biodynamic cranial sacral training in Saratoga Springs a couple of weeks ago. We did a meditation on um, embryology. And I was experiencing um, some kind of a recurrence of my birth. And I wasn't sure if I could sit still. I was starting to feel very restless. And it wasn't a new thing that happens to me in sitting meditation sometimes. And uh, as soon as the teacher guided us to the embryology and we were going back to the fluid movements, which was long before my birth, um, I was underneath it. And I could find at that point a foundation of before that physiological trauma happened in my life. Mm. That makes sense. So a lot of times, mm-hmm. uh, I just reconnecting with the embryology or, uh, Shanti, as you were saying, sometimes when you're watching your, the people in your movement classes, you, you sense it. You can sort of sense that's a layer of our foundation that's very fundamental. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, a little bit of, I, I, I went a little off of the emotional part, but it, the, this idea that the embryology is a template, and even in there, the emotional tone would already be imprinted. But physiological uh-huh. traumas, either in the mother's life or the father's life or the other other parent's life or caregiver's life, also are going to be absorbed by the nervous system, by the cells of the mother, and and somehow transmitted as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, I'm not sure, uh, our interest is so broad. I feel like James and I could probably just spin out on the conversation. <laughs> in a, in a, I'm, I'm actively practicing restraint. I know, I know. <laughs> oh, um, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, you maybe, know, I'm ready to go anywhere. Maybe yeah. I, I'm going too far in each direction. No, right? no, I, I, no. I, I love I love talking about this work and sharing it so much. It's my life's work. So, it's so good. please direct any direction you want. I'm happy to go with you. Well, I'll just follow my, uh, my own spark. And I, I think the thing I'm most curious about right this second is when you had this experience of dropping below, um, you know, the restlessness that you were describing, was that intentional I mean, was there something, some, some tool that you accessed within yourself to, to allow for that opportunity? Because I think one of the things James and I are always curious about for ourselves and our listeners is how do I, how do I practice that? What, what is, is there, mm, how do I touch that? You know, because of course we've all, I think, Many of us have had experiences of um, just the, the opening. It just happens. You know, sometimes it just happens. Many times it just happens. But I'm curious in this yeah. experience, and, and then maybe you can speak to, you know, when you're working with somebody, what do you do 
um, when you when you are witnessing this kind of experience. So I hope that wasn't too many questions all in one. No, no, it's wonderful. I think the first place is uh, um, learning that you're going to start to always carry a space for this when you're working with yourself or working with others, that you're going to hold a, a space for it. Um, sometimes when I'm working with people, I don't even mention it because I know that their minds will start trying to understand it. And it's really not something you can understand. You can't understand embryology. It, it's you, you can, you learn about that. You can understand the, the science and the evolution that happens physiologically. But, um, in terms of embodiment, it's to find and connect with that experience. And we could say, you know, wisdom, memory that's in our own bodies, ourselves. And that really brings us to the embodiment rather than the about embryology. It's how can we embody that? And sometimes it's, it's, it's done on, uh, without being named. How can I hold a space for my students? And I'm looking at them and I want to go to this primordial place with them. Um, and I can tell them about it. I can give them information. Um, a lot of it's the way I use my voice, uh, the way I use space. And I think we all find our own way. But I, I don't know. Uh, one beautiful thing that Bonnie Bainbridge Cohen says often um, is it's like a prayer. Um, and by make by a prayer, not a religious prayer, but just opening space with your heart and with your attention. Um, yeah. And sometimes it's also interesting in a more practical level to go to something really simple. Um, a simple, simple, simple piece of embryology. <clears throat> For example, um, when the embryo embryos get stepped to about 10, 12 days, and beyond, and it's already started to uh, differentiate to having a front body and a back body, even though it's a disc, like a pancake, so to speak. And then the middle layer gets formed, and then the precursor to the central axis is formed. So that's a lot, but if people can follow along, um, you could do a whole study on just going back to that uh, simplicity of the front body that created the digestive organs, um, the back body that created the nervous system and the skin. Um, and the front body has a consciousness of the yolk sac, which was also the first uh, digestive uh, function before the umbilical cord. And if you look at the, your front body and, you know, people go into fetal position, you have the mouth, you have uh, the belly, which is soft and uh, maybe even vulnerable. And then the back body is the con created the container. And that's just an example. And, you know, even in, in a professional dancers in class can somehow get value out of that, you know? Mm. Um, just another layer. Mm -hmm. You know, we can go into with the adult body and all the somatic work that's done. It's the Laba and Bartini work about space and qualities of movement and, analysis and movement and yet if you go underneath it that simplicity is there mm. mm -hmm. so I'm lucky in my life that I have uh, you know lots of friends lots of peers um, in a constellation and a cohort that this is sort of 
the wavelength that we consider movement. This is the wavelength that we're considering sort of perception and experience. And at the same time, I have plenty, probably more uh, family, friends, acquaintances, that this sort of perception is so far out of consideration that mm-hmm. it um, uh, seems unrealistic, it seems unattainable, it seems uh, like, why even bother? Where do you think, or from your experience with uh, within your own body, your own life, and your students, and your vast body of work, Marco, where does that where does that disruption happen? Like, wh- at what point, what are the things um, that sort of tell us that you are not that, you are actually this? You are not this elegant, graceful um, movement quality embodied as a human. Instead, you are a human who has to do movement. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure I understand. And the question, but I can certainly I have a lot of uh, responses coming up in me around uh, mm-hmm. uh, the wealth. Of well, jump off wherever you want to jump off, and if I if 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 I have questions about your answers, we'll go from there. <laughs> well, um, I think over the years and getting older, um, having to hold more responsibility uh, with teaching and working with people. I'm found more and more that it's the quality of my own presence when I'm in relationship that is the most powerful thing. It's more powerful than what I say. It's more uh, and and I learned this from Bonnie because the first time I met the woman in person after hearing about her for about I don't know 20 years, um, mm-hmm. I finally met her in person and I just had a five-minute conversation with her and I felt transformed. And I realized that even though she says very little and speaks very simply, um, she's very present. And I felt very seen by her in a compassionate way. Mm -hmm. She was holding a space for me and listening to my uh, desperate, not desperate, but very driven drive to go further with my artistic work. I'd really come to a place of frustration. And um, I think that's one of the first things. Like, and can we first listen to people? Because sometimes people um, push when they feel they're not being listened to, I find. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my family went through a really challenging time after our beloved mother died a few years ago. I have had five sisters. I have four now, but there's five of us. And she was the center of our our uh, family, all of our lives. Very loving woman. When she died, I was astonished by the primordial fears and conflicts and how they were manifesting in our relationships. That was very difficult. And at a certain point, I just, this is, I'm just giving an example. I just couldn't get them to understand me or honor my work or anything that was important to me the way I wanted them to. And when I let go of that and decided to just love them, because I realized you know, all I had left in my family, um, our relationship healed, and I realized the gentle and uh, extreme power of this. I don't know if that's helpful. 
but no, it is. It, it yeah, no, that's that's very helpful. Uh, I I guess um, it's a follow up. To, yeah. Okay. Got it. Where? And of course, um, I'm not asking for. I, I don't know that any of us have the exact answer, but what is it about culture, about uh, the human experience, that we so often get away from that presence, that we so often feel the need to push, that either in relationships, in values, or in exercise, in our physical experience, mm. rather than just being present with what is, or acknowledging having a per, you know an experience around the experience, um, mm. r- rather than manifesting something or or pushing mm-hmm. toward you know, uh, some, I guess maybe the word I'm looking for is gold. Uh-huh. That's a beautiful question. Well, if I go back to the developmental movement, the basic neurocellular patterns that are archaic movement patterns that are in all of us genetically and that uh, after we're born, we go through those as we go through the process of learning how to uh, roll over and eventually uh, crawl on our bellies and knees standing up and learning to walk, but there's a huge integration of these layers of these patterns that happen. And uh, when the baby's very young, the first patterns that they do is what we call yield and push. Mm -hmm. You'll often see a little newborn baby, you know, whether they're on their belly, and they might be just pushing their head against whatever the the mattress or the the ground or, you know, and... um, and when you push, when you push, that's when you actually start to feel where you end and the world begins. Mm. Right? And I, I often look at look at that as being a, a developmental thing that you know we go through as children, we're in discovery, and then if we start to feel ourselves as we get older, and then we'll become adolescents. We can't stand our parents. Parents are gross or not cool or annoying or whatever as we're mm-hmm. coming into our autonomy. But I think there's something developmental about that, and I guess we also just go through it with the different individual experiences that we have, arcs of our experience that have yeah, a life of their own, too. I used to be so pushy with my family, thinking I could tell them how to heal themselves. <laughs> they thought I was such a pain, and uh, when I just started to love, just love them and appreciate what they love, and be happy to share that with them. Our, our relationships became so much more rewarding. But, you know, I'm at a very different stage in my life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, How do we begin to inspire for, um, especially young children, uh, maybe maybe young humans that aren't too far away from that embryologic magic? How do we begin mm-hmm. to uh, inspire, invite, create opportunities for them to hold on to that a little longer than maybe what my generation or your generation or previous generations were able to hold on to that knowingness? How do we cultivate um, an embodied experience for young ones? Well, I guess a lot of it has to do with how we are embodying ourselves in those moments that we're with them, mm-hmm. and how we're holding a space for that. 
um, for them. Uh, the space that we're holding isn't just trying to get them into the best nursery school or college uh, and being very goal-oriented. And I, I know it's out of love. You know, I know this is out of a parent's desire for their children to survive and excel in the world. Uh, my, my father was very much like that. But, you know, can we also meet each child where they are and who they are and let them flourish from there rather than where we think they should be. It's, it's a very powerful tool. And children are so naturally attuned to this. You know, they feel it. Uh-huh. You know, instead of being talked down to or judged or controlled or directed, you know, to just be met with, with play and with joy and yet a keen eye to see what what challenges a child might be having. Uh, we all have developmental edges <laughs> that, uh, you know, that are asking to be worked out at different times of our lives. Yeah. I don't know. What would... Helpful. No, it's very, very helpful. Um, how, if you were... If you were a mother or a father or a caregiver to a young person, what would be, what's ground zero for um, being that presence that can allow them that opportunity? Now, we all know that this is years of work and and patience and practice, but what's a, uh, what's a thing? What's a a practice? What's an experience that yeah, that someone listening right now could go, oh, that's something I can do today to get myself um, interested and on, on that track. That's a great, and, you know, it's a great question. And um, I think one, one, one thing that I said at once, and I'll, I'll say it again in response to this, is that you meet the child where they really are. You hold a space for what, you can see as them having surpassed this difficulty or challenge, but you meet them where they are and accept them where they are and love them. If you're, if it's that kind of relationship where they are, love their humanity. And from that place, they can start, there's a platform for them to go. Another thing, it's called a practice called yielding, Y-I-E-L-D-I-N-G, <laughs> yielding. Mm-hmm. And I have an expression with my students. I said, if in doubt, yield. And yielding is, um, in body-mind centering work, is a way of dropping into your body, breath, and being in relationship, being, in, uh, feeling gravity, allowing mm-hmm. your body to just be very present and accepting what is right now. Um, and I'm going to give you an example of this. Uh, yeah, please do. I, this is how I learned this. So when I first was studying with Bonnie, I had gotten one grant from the Canada Council for the Arts to take a couple of courses with her and apply it to my artistic practice with professional dancers. And I did that, and the project went really well. And then I had already always planned there'd be two steps. I did step two was I was going to make a group piece with these dancers. And I was writing the second grant. And as soon as I wrote it, according to my, and I went to Bonnie and I met her before class, and I said, I, 
I don't know what's wrong. I've been planning this for years. And it, I don't know. I wrote it and it doesn't feel right. So she took me out into the hall a little bit later on the break and we sat down. And I, I, started, I was sputtering, you know, I don't know, it doesn't feel right, da-da-da-da. <laughs> and she just, uh, she made a sign, she just put her her fingertips gently on my breastbone. And she said, yield, Mariko. And I went, ah, okay. <laughs> I closed my eyes and I said, oh, I know, I don't want to make a group piece. I want to make a solo for each of these dancers, because I was made many, many solos for myself. There was a step I was skipping. And then she said, there you go. And she said, when you (laughs) will, you actually begin to feel what you really want. But when you're spinning in thoughts and questions and ideas, that's another interesting stage of the development. But when you yield, you have a chance. The fluids in your body have a chance to circulate and do their work much more effectively when they are allowed to be in relationship to gravity and where you are than when we're holding ourselves together with a concept or something. Uh, it just... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Jeez. Jeez. <laughs> uh, um, oh, I love hearing your laugh. <laughs> it's, I know that we... I don't know. I don't know how much James uses this language, but I know... It's in his language because I just know, I think, I feel to the heart of his work. We spend so much time in physical presence together. That idea, I just, there's so many words that arise and, you know, I'm having a pretty intense body experience. Uh, yeah. Yield, it's, um, it's like to be to allow responsiveness, you know, there's so many, like the language we can use and the language I find myself using or that we maybe get habituated to use is like letting go or allowing, um, Uh even, even opening. It's like those things to me are not quite it because they imply stepping stones. And they might be a key for different yes. people at different times, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. But ultimately, yes. it, they they do not, um, in my mind, in my in experience, my feeling experience of those words, they do not invite a sense of returning. They invite mm-hmm. an open-ended, uh, like, movement into, n- like, nothingness in a way, <clears throat> which for me personally is an ex- uh, it's that's a frightening uh, experience. Yeah. yeah. But yielding in bodies, literally for me, a returning. There, it's a feeling of responding, of a, of allowing responsiveness, and I think it's so much. I'm thinking about you know James's question about children, and just watching my own children. Um, as they, you know, in the beginning, in the very beginning, and as they grew up and now as they are older and, um, promoting this idea of responsiveness to, to me and, and helping them not navigate, you know, when I'm just fucking crazy, like how, how can I help them yield to me and my energy without giving themselves up? Um, and Uh it makes me think of play 
and, and that deep in, you know, uh, to me, I think play just is yielding. If you can play, you can embody yielding. And the thing that really strikes me is that this is, this is what I teach. This is what James and I are teaching. Yeah. Well, and, and the word to me also feels there is what's this conversation is bringing up for me. The ideas of letting go and allowing is a, um, an outside to inside passive maybe choice. I'm just sort of going to stand by. We're yielding. The way I'm feeling it is it's a very active choice. I am choosing to, to pause and to experience. I'm choosing to become aware of the surroundings. Even if you think of like yielding in your car, I'm, I'm choosing. It is my best decision right now to slow down to a pause and just take in an inventory. And when it's the right time to make a choice, the next choice, then I'll do that, more informed by what is going on. Mm-hmm. And it just feels so different. So thank you for bringing that into this conversation, Mariko. And thank you. Thank you, Bonnie, for so many reasons. <laughs> <I know. laughs> another another, uh, another important layer, beyond what you just shared so articulately there, is... Um, it can be frightening because you no longer have a sense of being in control when you're yielding. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like having the courage to be, be, embrace the unknown millisecond by millisecond um, and allow what is to present itself to you. It's, it's you know, it's something that's a practice and uh, the times that I need to do it the most are often the times when it's the hardest for me to go there because my my nervous system is telling me that you know there's danger or something and uh, and sometimes there is <laughs> and I yeah. need to respond mm-hmm. and sometimes uh, it's it's something to instead of reacting I want to be able to respond with more of me and I love what you said yeah. about the play um, Shanti it's a uh, on another level, you know, on the fluids course, uh, we, we work with all the different fluid systems in the body or the nervous system. Um, Bonnie talks about, you know, what good is BMC? One of her child clients uh, said, what good is BMC if it's not fun and there are no toys? <laughs> and so the idea of playing, uh, so she, she defined it on another, in another term saying, when we play, we learn through our blood. And when we learn through hard concentration and analysis, we're learning through our nervous system. And they're both important, but so often um, the way our educational system is, and even our culture, I feel we're very much uh, put above everything else, uh, the brain and the nervous system and our thoughts. And um, there's so much other intelligence informing that that we can also tap into through our organs and our blood and yeah, going all the way back to the genesis of our bodies. Mm. So as we wrap this up, Mariko, I just want to thank you so much for your time and for your contributions to movement and the contributions to this podcast. 
Uh, I know something that is from my limited experience with Bonnie's work and from what I've heard from you in this conversation, what I know about your work and explicitly what I know about Chantel's work and my work is that as we were talking, my, uh, a thought that often crosses my mind is, you know, we have a, a percentage of the population that all of this already resonates with and they're, they're already thinking about that. And then there's a, a, probably a much larger population where this is brand new material and it's how, to, why bother? Why get into this? Why, why add this in? And through this conversation, what is more and more clear in my work, Chantel's work, and, and obviously coming from your work in this conversation is a movement practice and bringing this sort of awareness into it whether in a very small way or a very large dedicated way is a way to practice just being more human and having a broader welcoming um, collaborative communal relationship with humanity mm. that looks a whole lot like exercise. <laughs> it's not, you know, I don't need to do this and then also do this on the side. It's like they can live together. Mm. And your oh, movement yeah. practice, whatever the movement practice is, by just switching the awareness and the perception can become that catharsis, can become right. an exploration, can become, you know, for lack of better words, your psychotherapy, can become relationship therapy. And that to me is like, you know, as, as our lives get more and more busy and the world gets more and more chaotic, if we can take more steps off of our plate and have one or two things sort of be more to us, then why not? <laughs> well said, James. Yeah. I, I really feel that, uh, you know, whether it was uh, this wonderful woman named Augusta who was with the San Francisco oh, Ballet yes, bringing BMC to the ballerinas about how to use mm -hmm. skeletal relationships of the bones of the toes with the pelvis and the hands and fingers to the shoulder girdle or whether it's someone who's just teaching yield in their community yoga class or working with children, play, playful with the blood or authentic movement, who had, or, yeah, jazzercise. There's always a way <laughs> that you can bring yeah. this consciousness in, like you said, and mm. a little bit can go a long way by my experience. Yes, it does. Uh, it just I could does. not have asked for a better conversation, Mariko. <laughs> I really, <laughs> I appreciate it. I, I, we both do, uh, you know, our, you know, as, as we wrap up these last few moments, can you give, um, people just a few things? Do you have any work coming up that you would like to promote or any way that it is easiest for people to get in touch with you if people are interested in getting in touch with you? Yeah, I'll just say that yep. um, I'm directing. I have the license for the Canadian Licensed Body Mind Centering Training Program. So right now that occupies quite a bit of my attention as I'm still, you know, uh, so finishing up the very first cycle, we're going to have our first graduates this spring in April of somatic movement educators and body mind centering in Montreal. So, um, so that's coming up. And the website for that, either they can find the Montreal program um, amongst all the other wonderful programs around the world on the bodymindcentering.com website. And our, our program is run by Esprit en Mouvement, which means spirit in motion. And it has its website, one word, espritenmouvement.com. But if you if you Google BMC Montreal, you'll find us. Great. And then for my my own artistic projects, MariKoTanabi um, com, uh, the website, and there's Facebook pages as well. Um, even my cell phone, 
<laughs> I get text messages, WhatsApp. Um, Great. I'm very approachable to anybody who's interested in this work and wants to get more information. Um, I just opened a new studio of my own, a small, intimate place, so very supportive to doing this work with a lovely floor, a quiet place, and um, I'm uh, going to be launching some more activities and classes there in spring, summer, and fall. This is, um, you know, as we were designing this last season and kind of talking about how we wanted to wrap up this podcast and sort of enter into our our personal, mine and Chantel's personal next experiences and work, we knew what we wanted. We knew what we, we hoped mm-hmm. we were going to have specific conversations. And this this just added to it in a way that was actually unpredictable and it's really so elegant. Beautiful. So thank you. Yes, thank you, Michael. Oh, well, thank you for thinking of me and giving me a chance to share with you this work and uh, my practice and It was a great pleasure. Well, as always, my friends, I hope you enjoyed that delightful episode. As always, even though the show will be officially ending in a few months, we would like to invite you to spread the word and spread the love and give us a review on iTunes and share with your friends and comment on the website and just let us know you're listening. Let us know what you're enjoying, what your questions are, what you're inspired by, what maybe you're challenged by and would like to be in conversation around. James and Deborah and I are all willing and ready to take part in the discourse that our conversations spark. So don't hesitate. Right now, you can get on iTunes and leave a review. We love to hear what you think, and we'd also like to know what you'd like to hear more of as we all launch into the world on our new and interesting and still interwoven paths. If there's something that your movement heart desires to hear about or to know about or to discover, um, we would really like to know that. So reach out to us. You can also email us at thinkingpilatespodcast at gmail.com. Otherwise, we would like to take a second to tell you about Momentum Fest. And if you've been a listener for a while, you know that this is one of our absolute most favorite things to support and to let people in on because it's a wonderful new-ish event. Momentum Fest is a celebration of movement for all movers, all people, and it's happening June 26th through 28th in the Denver area of Colorado at the Omni Interlochen Hotel in Westminster, Colorado, which is very conveniently situated right smack between Denver and Boulder. Now, I had the absolute joy of attending last year as a presenter and uh, the first year, the inaugural year, as a sponsor through the podcast. And I just cannot say enough about the joyful, wonder-filled, curious, fun, amazing spirit of this event. And um, we want to encourage you to check it out to learn more. You can do that at MomentumFest.com. Tickets are on sale and they're going fast. We're already past the early bird deadline and they've got so many yummy, yummy things for you. We've got sessions that will be more about educating and discussing, uh, less about movement moving. And we've got some really awesome pre-conference workshops for those of you who are teachers. 
But this event is in no way exclusive to teachers or professionals. It is 100% about the average Joe and Jane and you and me getting together to have a good time and move and laugh and be spontaneous and do weird things and go upside down and run around and work really hard and rest really well. It's a really special thing. Something I wanted to share with you, which I think sums this event up for me or how at least I show up for this event, I was asked recently to give three words that would describe my teaching style and something very interesting came out and it feels indicative of how I show up very specifically for Momentum Fest and the three words were intimate, exuberant, and genuine. And I think that is the very essence of Momentum Fest. If you want to check it out, and I encourage you to do so, go to MomentumFest.com. The event is happening June 26th through 28th in the Denver area of Colorado at the Omni Interlochen Hotel in Westminster. We love it, and we think you'll love it. Pretty much everybody I've met there sent there, know who's gone there, has been thrilled and not disappointed. So we hope you'll join us for the next episode and continue to take this journey with us. Until next time, breathe deep and teach well. 